When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're here with filmmaker Joe Wright and cinematographer Seamus McGarvey to talk about the visual beauty of Cyrano, which opens on January 28th. Seamus, where did you meet Joe? How did you meet? I met Joe many years ago, almost too many years to admit. probably about 30 years ago, when I worked in London, I worked in a very regularly for a music video making company. And we used to do two or three videos a week. It was a real, at the the height of that industry. And Joe was working in that company. Um, He used to do casting for the company. He used to, you know, just odd jobs around the place, but he just graduated from St. Martin's School of Art. And we immediately bonded because he was a, you know, when you you meet somebody with the spirit of a of an artist in their and fire in their tummy, uh, you, we kind of get on like a house on fire right away. And I shot a, a few videos that he ended up directing, and then you know he asked me to shoot a short film that he made uh, towards the end of his tenure at, at that music video company, Oil Factory, it was called. And we just stayed friends ever since. You know, he's asked me to shoot a, a number of films now, five or six films, starting with Atonement and Anna Karenina and The Soloist and Pan and now Cyrano. Uh, and we've just, apart from our sporadic uh, connection as filmmaker friends, we're best mates. And that really defines our relationship because when you go into the high octane environment of a film set, it's it's good to know that you've got friends around because firstly, the, there's the absence of pride or, you know, you can just sort of run with it and you can say things to each other quickly and sometimes ab- abruptly without the other person feeling that they're... Um, they've been either disrespected. I mean, Joe's films are always, don't get me wrong, are always lovely atmospheres and calm sets, but obviously in the, in the heat of the battle, uh, things can get, uh, you know, rough at times and on any film set that I've ever worked on. Can you talk about his style? He is, to me, he is redefined, um, period dramas. Um, you know, you know, after Merchant Ivory and thinking we've seen everything there is on period drama, he really has redefined it with this geometric look, a kind of rhythmic take. And we see that in the opening shot 
We see that in the opening shot here of Cyrano and in other places, the camera's constantly moving. It's following Cyrano, it's in front of him. Can you talk about that, establishing that st style? I mean, Atonement, another brilliant opening set to typewriter uh, mm. beats. Can, do, do you guys intentionally set out to do that? Tell me about it, tell me about that. Well, Joe, Joe is a consummate filmmaker, meaning that he knows every aspect of the cinematographic craft from sound to camera, to costume, makeup, all, to editing. All these things Joe has in his blood and, and really understands them. So when you sit down with your fellow filmmaker friends, all the heads of the department, there's this wonderful democracy of ideas that, that goes on where we all communicate very easily and, and, and fluidly together. And ultimately, it's all distilled through Joe's final say, but it's also inspired by his initial thoughts. Joe has the whole film in his head before we even start the storyboard, you know, and that's the, the great thing about him. But he still has the, the, the generosity to allow us all in to his creativity. And not only that, but demands it and spurs us all to do our best work. I mean, all the there's, there's no secret in the fact that the two Oscar nominations I've had have been with Joe's films. There's a reason for that, and that's because Joe is also a cinematographer alongside me. So we're, you know, he he makes everybody do their best work, and it's a joy to do that because you know that you're making something that's that's heartfelt, meaningful but also cinematographically succinct and, and uh, eloquent, because uh, I think that Joe isn't a sort, the sort of filmmaker who'll just do coverage of a scene. He uses the camera like a, a, a writer would use words or a painter uses paint. So, so the, the, the way the camera moves, the shots, the, the choice of lenses are specifically chosen uh, to to sort of propel the story in an eloquent way, photographically speaking. And that's really exciting. It gives me goose pimples when I sit down with Joe and we're trying to work out the, 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 the shots for a particular sequence because there's, there's that lovely dexterity with, with the, the medium. And it, 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 it just makes me look good because <laughs> he he is he's a master sort of uh, filmmaker do you storyboard everything every single shot in the movie no not everything but every day there's there's a shot list and joe sits up he gets up really early in the morning and, and does a shot list which can be adhered to or departed from depending on what the actors bring to it in the rehearsal, that valuable rehearsal period in the morning. And that's another exciting point where you kind of, you're, you're steering the day by, by looking at what an actor does in the real space 
that we shoot in. Like, for instance, the, a lot of Cyrano was shot in real locations, admittedly interfered with heavily by Sarah Greenwood, the designer, and Katie Spencer. But, um, you know, a lot sort of changes on the day, but this template is set uh, the night before and the morning of, and it, it, it's a great springboard uh, photographically to, to, to jump off from. And, uh, and it also allows everybody to know what we're at least attempting to do through the day. So it goes to the ADs, it goes to the whole crew, Joe distributes it freely. And that's, that's a really lovely way of, of, uh, the sort of the communal aspect of, of, of shooting. How did this all come about? Did, did, did Erica and Haley say, you got to see this musical over in Connecticut and out. And in addition, it, you should film this. Can you tell me about that initial conversation? Um, well, no, it was, um, it was a simple, you know, request from Haley to go and see her on her first night. Um, uh, in this um, little workshop production they were doing up in Connecticut. And uh, I went along and I knew the story well and, and kind of loved the story. Um, but I was really shocked by the emotional um, power of Pete as Cyrano um, uh, without the big prosthetic nose. Um, and then the combination of Pete with Haley, I, I just thought it was extraordinary and very, very moving. Um, uh, there was a level of authenticity that was undeniable. Um, and so uh, I spoke to Haley and said, um, listen, I think, you know, maybe we should try and adapt this um, into a movie. Uh, do I have your blessing? And she agreed. Uh, so I went and approached Erica and, and uh, Dinklage. And yeah, they both agreed. And so we set about a, a kind of two, uh, two and a half year process of adapting um, the, the play for, for film. And then as far as shooting in Italy, Oh. You you mentioned it was because of the cannoli, but seriously, <laughs> what did the town have to offer? Like, was it just this is how did you feel? This is it. This is where we've got to shoot Sereno versus it's any like, other place on Earth. I mean, it worked creatively and also practically, given the um, pandemic that was going on. You know, we it was. June 28th, I believe, when I found, um, I, I felt that we had gotten the script into a good shape. I approached Eric Fellner and said, right, come on, we're ready to go. And I think it's really important that we make this film now um, because it's a movie about the importance of human connection and our failure to often connect. Um, uh, and also because a lot of my friends and family and, and colleagues um, were finding it, you know, difficult to put food on the table as well. We needed to get people working. Um, the British government, unfortunately, was very, very slow uh, in um, giving any financial support to freelance uh, people working in the creative industries. 
Um, and so we needed to, you know, and I'm talking about friends who were like actors in the theatre or, you know, camera ACs or, you know, whatever. And, and so um, uh, it was a double thing, you know. Um, so then we thought about where we were going to do it. I, I spoke to Sarah Greenwood. Sarah Greenwood uh, had eaten a canolo in Notto. Um, and, uh, and we discussed the town previously anyway. Um, and we wanted to create a fantasy of a period and a place. It's not a period movie. It's a kind of fantasy of a period. Um, the original Rostand play is set in... Um, uh, in Paris, as I'm sure you know, uh, uh, but I didn't want to try and replicate Paris. We wanted a very romantic um, uh, environment, and Notto is exceptional in, uh, in 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 many ways. But in one sense, it's exceptional because the entire town was um, uh, destroyed in 1692 by an earthquake. But the town itself at the time was quite wealthy. Um, and so they rebuilt it very, very quickly over the course of like 15 years. And they rebuilt it as this kind of Baroque masterpiece. Um, and it has a it has a complete continuity that, you know, um, uh, it's a World Heritage Site now. It has this complete continuity. It feels incredibly contained. Um, and so because Sicily had very little through traffic, it's, as you know, the island, so has very little through traffic, we were able to create this kind of backlot, uh, essentially, in the town of Notto um, and, and shoot pretty much everything there. Um, it's an entirely location-based movie. We built one big set for the theatre, uh, but that even is in a courtyard, which we see on camera as well. Um, and we built that outdoors for COVID restrictions reasons. Um, so, um, so yeah. Now, the actors sang on set versus having this pre-recorded. Yeah, yeah, they all sang live on camera. Tell me, both of you, about the challenges the want to do that and the challenges. Um, well, the reason for doing it is that, you know, as I said, it's about human connection. It's about intimacy. Um, and it's about a fear of intimacy. So I wanted this sense of intimacy throughout with the sound and with the picture. Um, and I felt the best way to achieve that intimacy was through live recording um, so that every fault and, and, and breath and crack in the voice is uh, captured live and has a kind of uh, an immediate, um, uh, an immediacy. Um, and I think it, I think it does bring us closer to the characters. I, you know, I, I wasn't interested particularly in kind of um, musical perfection. I was interested in a, in, in, in um, a sense of humanity from the characters, a sense of their um, fallibility, a sense of their, their vulnerability, um, uh, which all was expressed through the details of their voices rather than from the 
perfection of their voices. Um, uh, so that's so that was kind of the choice there. Did it did it did it was it challenging camera wise? Do you feel shameless? Not really. But what was interesting, having worked on a musical in the past of a very different style, The Greatest Showman, was that it, it the the musical elements, the song felt so integral to the narrative. So were were the 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 script and the performance seed naturally into the the song and back out again afterwards. And that the natural ebb and flow of that was was lovely to witness on camera. Obviously there are technical aspects to it because the recording has to be so good. So, uh, you know, we tend to shoot, Anthony, Joe and I tend to shoot with a single camera and that that helped the sound because you're not doing a wide shot on a close-up at the same time. So the Mike Colin Nicholson's uh, sound recording could could be as, as good as it could possibly be uh, for the resonance of the voice. Um, so we, yeah. we, we use both boom and lav radio mics at the same time and and obviously one tries to go with with boom in the final mix as much as possible but the the we found actually the lav mics were worked uh, brilliantly and we were able to mix from one to the other pretty seamlessly there was a richness to the lav mic which never used to exist and um i don't have the actual technical uh number of the microphone uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah the 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 the, the radio mics um uh worked 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 brilliantly and and you played the music on set no the, the actors had um uh little you know headphones um earwigs um we had a lot of them because you know scenes where you have dancers dancing while someone's singing uh, the dancers had to um, all be able to hear the music to dance to it. But also something else we tried, which was really uh, fun, was that we played on big speakers on set, um, a very sub bass rhythm uh, sometimes so that the dancers could just dance to this sub bass rhythm. Um, uh, which we could then quite easily mix out um, in the finals. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe, can you tell us about your geometric style? Uh, I went back and I watched the beginning of Atonement before this podcast, and it is just, wow, visual poetry. And, and Seamus shot that film. And we see this in the beginning of Cyrano. You, the, the camera's constantly moving. You're following, you're crossing sets. Can you talk about that visually, that philosophy? Because to me, that's what sets you, you you've redefined period drama, in, in my opinion. You have set, it's a Joe Wright film. I know 
that it's going to be stylistically stunning. And I'm just wondering how you came about that and then and then how and, and also employing that in this film. Um, thank you. I get I mean, I, I never set out to make period dramas. Um, uh, and um, and the films that I um, that I kind of watched. You know, I, I was a I was a devoted Scorsese fan, for instance, in my in my teenage years, and David Lynch, and so on. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I think possibly because of my 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 background in puppet theatre, um, I think of period dramas being more fantasies than historical reenactments. Um, I always had a slight problem with period dramas that somehow they felt reactionary and conservative, even, um, which alarmed me um, because that's not certainly doesn't represent my 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 views. Um, what I've tried to do is reclaim the the the, the genre, if you like. Um, uh, and, and as for kind of stylistically, um, I think what I want to do is to immerse an audience, um, uh, in an experience, uh, I want them to feel part of it and I want them to feel like they're really there. Um, and I want them to smell the the pigs in the sty, um, and I want them to feel the, the dirt, um, and I want them to feel the light on their faces. Um, and so it's really about trying to create as, um, as an immersive experience as, as possible. Um, that's also, you know, what I'm trying to do with the sound as well. Um, uh, it's funny when people talk about the big screen experience, all these conversations at the moment about kind of theatrical distribution and the big screen experience. Yeah. For me, it's, it, it is the big screen experience, but it's also about the big sound experience, you know, it's mm -hmm. about being immersed in that 7.1 surround sound and, and having the sounds move around you and, um, uh, or, or even better, the Dolby Atmos. Um, so, so yeah, it's about, it's about feeling like you're you're really there and living it, um, uh, and therefore one can have a, um, a a closer emotional, compassionate relationship with the story that's been told. Joe and Seamus, what was one of the more challenging shots to pull off in in the film? I know there was a volcano eruption <laughs> toward the end, but I'm curious. Maybe that was easy compared to, I don't know, you know, sneaking the camera around the corner of an alley. <laughs> there were many challenges. I mean, photographically, physically, obviously Etna was the piece de resistance uh, because of it, the, the height, the lack of oxygen, the active, actively erupting volcano. Um, but there were some challenges because we were working predominantly in real spaces. So, you know, the, the challenge of lighting uh, a, a room in a, in a period house and also to creating movement. In fact, one of the most challenging shots was the opening shot of the movie. 
which uh, has follows Haley around and and and, and sort of the camera kind of chases her around. Quite a long shot, but it was a very difficult film uh, shot to pull off from a grip point of view. And in the end, we had to make some bold decisions about who should be the grip uh, for that shot. Uh, and it was a, a tough one to operate and, and for the performers to, to sort of everyone to keep focus because it was an active shot and, 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 you know, very kind of kinetic. And for you, Joe, what would you say? Most challenging, most cha- some of your most challenging shots to pull off. I think, um, I'm just having a think here. I get, I mean, you know, Etna was was tough. Um, shooting at 8,000 feet, so the air is very thin. Uh, no one can really move around because you're working on vertiginous slopes and every time you put a camera case down, it rolls down the hill. Um, uh, and then on the final day, the, the volcano erupting and us all having to run uh, for our lives. Um, that, was, that was pretty challenging, but in a kind of production logistical sense, you know. Um, although it was interesting because we had actually planned to shoot higher up the volcano at 16,000 feet. Um, and we'd built a set up there and we'd built a camera platform and we'd moved a hundred foot techno crane up onto the platform. Um, and then the entire set got buried in two meters of snow um, and was completely uh, inaccessible. So we had to move the set down to 8,000 feet. Um, and we had, you know, we, we'd planned this whole um, uh, sequence very carefully um, and, and with the with the techno crane in mind so that the camera would only ever be um, shooting off the crane. Um, and so once we moved down and we didn't have that um, uh, kit at our disposal, the entire sequence had to be shot um, from a tripod. Um, uh, and reconceiving this supposedly kind of epic um, battle sequence um, using nothing uh, more than a tripod was um, that, and, and, and kind of improvising it because we didn't have time to plan it all. Um, uh, that was that was scary and and challenging. Two more questions, um, Seamus. You shot on digital. What kind of camera did you choose, and uh, and lenses? Well, we shot why? with. Um, firstly, we we chose to shoot digitally. Although Joe and I have previously worked on on film. Um, but during the pandemic, it was it was going to be impossible. We knew uh, to to get film to the laboratory in Rome and back again, so uh, we decided to shoot on 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 digital. But it was using the Ari Alexa LF, the and the LF Mini, and the reason we loved that after testing was was because of portraiture. We knew that. Although we were going to have these beautiful vistas in Noto and, and on Mount Etna, that that essential to this was going to be the human face and the human face singing a song. So we we shot with lights 
lenses, Leica lenses. Um, and it, it, it felt very much like my old days as a stills photographer shooting sort of medium format, the Hasselblad or with a Rolly Flex. It, it has that sort of quality. It's, it's quite distinct from either Super 35 or, or digital sort of uh, the, the Alexa ST. So yeah, we 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 discovered this and and were immediately drawn to its its the quality of its portraiture. And Joe, before we go, can you tell us what your next project is next year? Uh, no, I can't. Um, other than to say. Um, uh, it's a movie that I've written um, and uh, it will be shot across Europe um, in the UK and Italy again and also maybe Finland. Um, I kind of I want to shoot in Europe a lot at the moment, partly as a kind of um, in defiance of Brexit. Um, uh, I... I I claim myself as a as a European, um, and it's a way of doing that. Um, uh, so, so yeah, um, that's what we're that's what we're doing. Joe Wright and Seamus McGarvey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.